0: Hello and welcome to the Better Human podcast. My name is Adam Wagner and I'm a barrister specialising in human rights and this podcast is all about human rights. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering new LRB undergraduate course taught in London. And if you're interested in studying law, visit Goldsmiths website on gold.act.uk forward slash law. If you find the podcast useful, then please consider Contributing to the Patreon, which is a little fund to help pay for the cost of the podcast and make it sustainable. Um, just a couple of pounds a month would be great from if you find this podcast useful. It's patreon.com forward slash betterhuman. If you want to contact me, you can contact me on Adam at betterhumanpodcast.com. Today, we are doing a special episode um, on the general election 2019, which is, we're recording this on the Thursday, the 28th of November, so a couple of weeks before the election um, day. And the idea of the podcast is to look at the party manifestos and think through some of the potential human rights issues arising from those manifestos. And I should say that we've um, we found this episode... Extremely interesting but complex. There's there's a lot of political parties and a lot of manifesto commitments that potentially touch on human rights. We try to be as comprehensive as possible, but obviously that's not completely possible. In an hour, we have tried to look at the different party manifestos. I'm sure we've missed out lots, but we what we've focused on is what we consider to be the key human rights issues. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Natasha Holcroft, MS, who is a PhD student at Oxford University. She's a public international law and human rights expert. Uh, she is a non-practicing barrister um, and she's absolutely fantastic. And she is also she is also the research producer of this podcast. Hi, Tash.
1: Hi, Adam. Thank you for having me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. And thanks for coming down to the recording. So let's start um let's start with the big one the human rights act um, and constitutional reform and um, i think it's probably fair to start with the party that's going to change it um they say which is the conservatives
1: so in the conservative manifesto they've pledged to update but not to repeal the human rights act and to update administrative law and what they want to bring in is a, a balance of rights rules and entitlements which will provide, in their view, greater balance between individual rights, national security and effective government.
0: And they're going to have a commission, aren't they, To Rather than saying exactly how that's all going to work, they go, they've proposed a Constitution, Democracy and Rights Commission.
1: Yes, which will examine these issues in depth. And the, and the commission, I believe, is also expected to have a review of um, judicial review and to make sure that Uh, Judicial review is available to protect rights against an overbearing state, but in the words of the manifesto, also to ensure that judicial review isn't abused to conduct politics by other means uh, or to create necessary delays.
0: Okay, so let's try and unpack that. Let's start with the Human Rights Act. What is the Human Rights Act?
1: So the Human Rights Act is a piece of legislation um, that applies in the UK, which gives domestic effect to the Human Rights Convention. It brings the protections for human rights that are set out in the Human Rights Convention into the into UK law and enables people to go to their courts here in the UK uh, to enforce the rights in the convention.
0: And how long have we had it for?
1: So it, it came in, it was um, put on the statute books in 1998 and it came into force in the year 2000, so almost 20 years at this point.
0: So the Tory party have always had pretty much always had an issue with the Human Rights Act. I, th- I think it's fair to say that it, the first time it was that the Conservative Party proposed actually changing it was in 2006 when David Cameron said that he would replace it with a British Bill of Rights. And that commitment was in every manifesto up to this one. And it's actually really, I, I found it interesting to see that they've, they're not going for a Bill of Rights. They're saying they're going to update the human rights act and and that seems to be quite significant in and of itself that they've abandoned this idea for a british bill of rights so at least for now
1: yeah it's an interesting shift um, of position although y- you wonder kind of what what kind of changes would have been made in a, in a british bill of rights anyway and how different that would have been to simply changing the human rights act um so it, i i agree that it i think it is significant that there has been a, a walking away from the idea of bringing in uh, something completely different in a Bill of Rights. But I still think that um, what they're proposing may not actually be so different from what they've hoped to achieve previously. Yeah, what
0: what might end up being recommended by this so-called commission. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and what's judicial review and how is that different to the Human Rights Act?
1: So judicial review is a way for individuals to bring claims in in the court to review decisions of public authorities.
0: And they can bring, and it can it sometimes interconnects with the Human Rights Act, but it's not the same thing. But I suppose that the the common theme is these are both, the Human Rights Act and Judicial Review, are ways in which you as a citizen or as a group of citizens can take the state, take the public authority to court and enforce either your rights under the convention, right to life, right to liberty, right to free speech, or apply certain Administrative law principles, so making sure that decisions are rational, proportionate, which is a bit human rightsy, um, that they haven't, that decision makers haven't acted outside of their powers. So the prorogation case was was a judicial review, um, and um, I suppose the thinking about this commission, um, one thing probably most people who aren't obsessive about this, like I am, um, have forgotten is we had a commission, we had a Bill of Rights commission in after the 2010 election when the conservatives went into coalition with the liberal democrats and they had a pledge in that election to replace the human rights act with a bill of rights but the liberal democrats didn't want to do it and they reached this compromise where they'd have a where they would have a commission a bill of rights commission and it was for tories and for liberal democrats and and the way it came out in the end was a kind of a fudge where they recommended. I think it was a six-two majority in the commission recommended some sort of bill of rights for various reasons to clarify rights, etc. But the but it was so what they could achieve without withdrawing from the European Convention, which kind of anchors um, the human rights act, was always going to be quite limited, and that's always been the structural problem or bar problem with a bar to changing the human rights act is it's not we didn't create the human rights act the, the rights were brought in from the european convention
1: yeah and, and it's it's noticeable that it seems that none of the the parties that we're looking at and, and and talking about none of them seem to be anticipating walking away from the convention the international law safeguard to these rights and i think that's been suggested previously that the that's maybe a path that some of the part, political parties want to go down, but it seems that there's been a, a move away from that. And I wonder if maybe the experience of withdrawing from certain other treaties in recent times might have um, discouraged people from going yeah, down that route.
0: I, I think that's right. And, and I think, I mean, Dominic Cumming, sorry, Dominic Cummings, who's the prime minister's advisor, has publicly written about wanting to withdraw from the European Convention and said that we'll, we'll win that by more than 52-48. But... I mean, I think that the reality which has intervened is really the the EU trade deal which they want to negotiate, and the um, withdrawal agreement mentions. I think, I mean, it's slightly um, it's slightly ambiguously worded. It's something like um, maintain comply with the principles of the European Convention or something. But given that all new EU members have to sign up to the European Convention i wouldn't be surprised if if that will be a an important part of the negotiation that you will say you've got to keep to the european convention and i think also with the security the potential agreement of security cooperation there was also a commitment to stay in the european convention so where this all comes back to is if you're going to change the human rights act you have to do it in a way which will comply with the convention so for example if you try and limit um, as was the as was being floated at one point that you limit the applicability of rights to particular uh, to only two particular groups say law-abiding citizens so you take away the right to privacy and family life from uh, people who have committed serious criminal offenses who are being deported that would just end up in the european court of human rights who would say that's not compliant with the european convention so the room to maneuver and I'm sure this is what the commission will end up saying, without leaving the European Convention, is quite limited.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the thing that human rights law gives us. It's this kind of minimum floor level of protection. Um, it's one of the real virtues of the international, legal, international human rights legal system is that there are minimum standards and um, the way the wind blows in politics should not be able to change what those minimum standards are.
0: Yeah. And, and and I think that that well, I mean there's I've I've learned from bitter experience not to be hopeful when <laughs> when you see a sort of chink of light in over this very long standing question of reforming the human rights act but sending it off to a commission is a pretty standard way of of putting it into at least the medium grass if not the long grass. So let's see and I, and I think that, and I think, as I've already said publicly about this, that commission needs to be balanced. It can't just be a load of Tory Tory lawyers who have particular views about the Human Rights Act. They should, if they really want to do a proper job and they really want to protect people's rights, it should be a cross-party commission. Um, but whether they're enlightened enough to do that, who knows? Um, so it's fairly straightforward to consider that issue from the other in in terms of Labour and the Liberal Democrats and the Greens because they all in different ways say they're committed to the Human Rights Act and the Human Rights Convention. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah that's my understanding. Um, Yeah the Lib Dems want pledging to defend the Human Rights Act, resist any attempt to withdraw from the European Convention on Human Rights. Uh, Same with Labour they have a firm commitment to the Human Rights Act.
0: So, So what does the Scottish National Party say about the Human Rights Act?
1: The SNP has reaffirmed its commitment to the Human Rights Act and the the Human Rights Convention and they said that they would oppose any attempts by the UK government to scrap the Human Rights Act and to withdraw from the Human Rights Convention.
0: And Plaid Cymru have pledged to publish a Human Rights Charter for Wales to protect the most vulnerable members of our community and said it's going to protect the Human Rights Act. Um, but that's interesting a, a human rights charter for Wales um, and, and this is I, I suppose this is interesting in the wider context of the different regional parts of the UK starting to diverge from each other on human rights protections and we've seen the Scottish Parliament, the current Scottish Parliament bring in elements of social rights, enforceable social rights into Scottish law. And um, Brexit party they just don't say anything about the Human Rights Act and the European Convention on Human Rights. So that's, well, I mean, you know, take that in whatever way you want, to do. whether they're going to get any, any seats, we don't know. So that's the Human Rights Act. And just to say one more thing about judicial review, I think with judicial review, we're in slight, we are in quite worrying territory because what's happened with judicial review under the current government is there have been, well, you know, under the last eight, 10 years of nine years of government since 2010 is there have been quite significant there've been quite significant changes to judicial review so for example um the change that you can't renew an application for permission to apply for judicial review if the judge certifies it as manifestly unfounded Um, and there's various other changes and there have been there's been talk particularly um, unsurprisingly by ministers who get beaten in the administrative court and don't like judicial review for that reason, of preventing campaigning organizations bringing judicial review for, quote-unquote, political reasons. And I think that that is one we need to watch because I think there's a, quite a lot of public understanding now of the importance of the Human Rights Act, less public understanding of the importance of judicial review.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's fair and and there are already rules which try to prevent people from bringing vexatious claims through the courts um and so it's it's not clear to me what they are hoping to achieve or how really they they're proposing to achieve it but i do think it's one certainly one to keep an eye on
0: okay so let's move on to another hot button issue which is brexit um and we'll try and keep it to the rights implications of the various policies, I think it's pretty well known how how the parties line up on Brexit. And for anybody that wants a primer on this, I did I, I did a podcast. I think it was episode two of this podcast with Shona Jolly QC, where we went into the, the in in depth the rights implications of the various potential Brexit outcomes. But what I I think is you, let's start with Labour because um, we started with the Tories in the um, previous section so what are labor going to do that r- relating to human rights on brexit
1: so labor say that they're new they're proposing to secure a new brexit deal a different one from boris johnson's brexit deal and labor says that their deal will protect protect jobs rights and the environment uh, avoid a hard border in northern ireland and protect the good friday agreement and um, so they're really focusing on workers rights environmental protections and um the protection of EU citizens currently living in the UK. They, they're they proposing not to use the Conservatives' EU settlement scheme, which has been in place um, up to now. And the uh, the Labour Party are proposing instead to allow EU nationals um, the automatic right to continue living and working in the UK.
0: I guess the point is that the EU law currently anchors certain protections for workers. So for example, the unlimited potential awards and discrimination claims working time directives the you know discrimination across various protected characteristics protection from discrimination and as things stand under the boris johnson deal that anchor would be pulled up and the uk could float off in whichever direction it wanted it could make workers rights um it could impose more stringent worker workers rights or it could deregulate worker's rights so take away things like unlimited compensation and discrimination claims or it could say as i think's been proposed that a business under a certain number of employees doesn't need to provide full maternity rights to people who are going on maternity leave so it could say only entitled to 3 months maternity leave and the point is that you wouldn't you would lose this minimum protection and, and I think it's probably fair to say that Labour would go in with quite a different approach to that and would say, we want to start with the minimum standards. But at the beginning of the negotiation, where they would come out at the end of the negotiation, difficult to say. Although I imagine the EU would be very conducive to that because it would prevent the UK becoming a sort of Singapore, Singapore on Thames.
1: <laughs> yeah, you would hope that, um, the, I mean, the point behind the international type system is to provide that floor that you were talking about, the floor level of protections. And so you'd hope that the international community would want to see those reinforced um, and retained um, and and that standards are the same overall. And the Lib
0: Dems want to stop Brexit. So it would be as if they achieved a majority, they would revoke Article 50. And if they went into a minority government, presumably they'd push for a second referendum which labor also proposed. So there's an option of potential remain but obviously a referendum could lead us to the same direction. Yep. Difficult to say what the what the implications for for rights would be separately from what we've just been speaking about. Um, and the conservatives where would they be with with the rights implications of Brexit?
1: So one aspect of the conservative offering is the proposal to leave uh, the European Char- the European Union Charter of Fundamental Rights, um, which currently is directly um, enforceable in, in, in the UK as a result of it being part of EU law. Um, it would also, we would also end free movement in relation to uh, the European Union as part of that, following the deal that Boris Johnson has negotiated. And so I think it's quite a different picture in terms of human rights post-Brexit, Um, interestingly the the manifesto the conservative manifesto talks about post-brexit freedoms so i think they are anticipating that we have may have certain other rights that we don't currently have now it's a bit of a vague reference so i'm not quite sure what they are referring to what they're what they're anticipating um but it's interesting to to see how it's kind of phrased and how how the party views the, this is a more of an opportunity for rights, I suppose, than than a potential challenge.
0: The Better Human podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just $3 a month, that's just over two pounds, via our Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash better human. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable and I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. Okay, so let's move on to healthcare. So what we have with the with the various NHS pledges is we're going to give 30 billion or no we're going to give 40 billion no we're going to give 100 <laughs> billion. There's a, there's a there's a lot of that. Mm. But how does that impact on on the human rights elements that we've been talking about,
1: so I think what this, what the proposals for additional funding are really driving towards, is greater access to the service. If there's more provision for nurses, doctors, appointments, it means that people are better able to access the services that the NHS provides. Um, and it's, I think, the concern at the moment is that people aren't going to be able to access the services that they that they need, and that that will have consequences for their being able to achieve, um, the right to health and, and other rights as well that, that are related to the right to health. So you need to be healthy if you're going to exercise the rest of your, of your human rights. Um, there are other quite specific issues about privatization and the relation that, um, or the role rather that the NHS or the NHS services or medicines might play in relation to trade deals arising as a result of Brexit. Um, So there there are various specific considerations uh, and there's also this overarching driving force towards helping people to access services and and have better health and achieve their own right to health.
0: And there's also the social care issue which loomed very much over the last election because of Theresa May's approach to it which was criticised. And I think the Labour Party is saying they're going to build a national care service um, and provide funded personal care for older people in the most need, so effectively bolting on a new addendum to the NHS or a partner to the NHS, which will cover particularly elderly care, um, and that seems that is a very important human rights issue at the moment. Is how are our aging population being looked after? Are they being cared for? What responsibility does the state have? You know, what are they going to have to sell their homes? Are they going to have to um, live in um, poor conditions and that engages a number of human rights
1: yes it does the right to housing as well as as the right to health um the conservative party are also pledging extra funding for social care with a condition that no one should have to sell their home to be able to or to be able to afford to pay for social care
0: but the conservatives have been quite vague about what comes i I think they've said they're going to have a try and find a cross-party consensus and probably reading on, on social care, and what to do with this age, with the aging population, with the increasing need for social care and the increasing number of people who are carers, um, who you are quite often for free. And they've said, we're going to have a cross-party consensus on that, which is probably just a means of avoiding having to commit to any particular policy and avoid the, what happened with Theresa May's sort of election, 2017 election disaster. But... You know, I think that does that does con- contrast with the Labour policy of of setting up a national care service. And what have the Lib Dems proposed to do on healthcare?
1: So the Lib Dems have promised to raise uh, seven billion pounds a year additional revenue to spend on the NHS and social care services. Um, it's proposed to use ten billion pounds of capital funds to invest in equipment, hospitals, and communities, uh, amongst other areas. And in the longer term, the party would like to create a healthcare tax offset by other tax reductions um, to help towards the, the spending on health and social care.
0: And they're going to put 11 billion into mental health services. We haven't touched on mental health yet, but mental health is, is a priority for a number of the parties.
1: Yes, there's quite a few of them are committing to treat mental health in the same way that we approach um, physical healthcare
0: and which has been the kind of trend um in, in in the last few years so let's move on to education um article two of the first protocol of the european convention you have a right to education it's not a particularly strong right because it's really about making sure that you you have access to a school and beyond that in terms of quality it's not it's just not used very much um it's used in Discrimination claims claims where certain groups are not getting as good education than other groups, whether it's um, girls, girls and boys, or different religious groups or different different ethnic groups. But it's not that strong. Um, but it is still a right, and it's an important right. And the school sector, I know with the public school sector, I know with two children in uh, state school myself, that the state school sector is has struggled due to funding. For, the, for a number of years now. Um, what are the parties planning on doing about that? What do they say they're planning on doing about it?
1: So Labour's proposal is to create a national education service, um, which would provide support for education throughout people's lives. Um, they're also planning to reverse some changes that have been made previously, for example, reversing cuts to sure start centers, um, providing funding for schools to have smaller class sizes, um, taking action against off-rolling or casual exclusions from some schools and bringing back various financial uh, support for students in further and higher education.
0: Um, Labour also are going to uh, uh, explore abolishing private schools. And this became a, a bit of a um, discussion when at the time of their conference. And there was talk about... Ex- expropriating if that's the right word taking over the land or returning it to public ownership the the, the land that's owned by private schools and that potentially gives rise to some human rights issues
1: it does there's a right to peaceful enjoyment of property Um, and so it could potentially have implications for property rights Um, but again you also have the right to education in play at the same time
0: Yeah, and and I think it's probably needs a bit of unpacking about who owns that land. If they're charities and the land is for public benefit, then it may be possible to repurpose it for public for the same public benefit. I mean, it it may just stay in the school system, but but who knows? And who knows if that that policy will um, will go forward anyway? But with the with the conservatives, what are they going to do with education? A bit more funding.
1: Yes, the proposal is an extra £14 billion in funding for schools, um, including £780 million in the next year in new funding to support children with special educational needs and disabilities, which is another um, sort of group of people who have been um, left quite isolated and, and in need of sometimes legal assistance to challenge um, lim- the limited funding that has been available to support students with special educational needs.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's, it's tricky because parents can't get legal aid um, for special educational needs cases. So they're often fighting on their own um, against those decisions. I mean, we should probably say the health warning that all these figures about the extra funding come with all sorts of potential caveats and ways, you know, is it going to be year on year? Is it going to be, is it funding that's already been it's um, already been committed to is it going to go exactly there who, who knows but the point is that they're that they're saying there'll be more funding for schools the, the the tories
1: so yeah the lib dems as well are providing for um a cash injection into schools to support pupils um and they're also proposing to employ an extra twenty thousand school teachers to provide extra support within schools um they're also pledging um free high quality childcare and they try they they too have recognized that there's a need to address funding issues within special educational needs and disabilities by yeah. allocating cash and, and that's for work
0: that's for working parents and yes. um, free high quality high child care for 9 months um and the i mean that that's, that does give rise to another issue of i mean I, I guess it's a rights issue it in the sense of people are being prevented from going out and working because they've had children and they can't get the state support. You know, you might get a bit of nursery provision for during the day, maybe for a few hours each day. But to be able to go and do a full-time job, it's simply, for many people, not economical to do that job. So you, so a number of the parties are looking at that. So let's talk about social security. Um, social security is the means by which the state... Ensures people who are unemployed um, or have a disability from, you know prevents them falling into complete poverty. I suppose that, that that's the point of it or allows them, helps them trying to get back to work. I suppose the, the big controversy over social security is about universal credit and whether that's something which needs to be, which is going to be kept or not. And I think that the conservatives who created universal credit are going to continue its rollout, whatever that means, and in, in whatever um, format that takes and speed. Labour are going to scrap it. They've they've said universal credit is not fit for purpose. Um, do we have any idea what they're going to replace it with?
1: They've said that they'll uh, design an alternative system, but that's we haven't really got much more detail than that in the manifesto itself. So designing an alternative system of welfare benefits which will end poverty and guarantee a minimum standard of living, um, but not much... Not much more detail on that.
0: Okay, so 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 they're going to get rid of it and probably take quite a long time replacing it, which means that we'll we'll stick with the current system um, of social security that we have for a while under Labour. Okay, so let's talk about disability. Um, what what are the Labour Party proposing on disability?
1: So the the Labour Party are proposing to tackle issues through transforming the workforce for disabled people and updating the Equality Act with specific duties um, on employers to make better accommodation for disabled people, including having disability leave, which is paid and is recorded separately from um, illness absence. Um, And it's also going to revamp the way that disability benefits are assessed.
0: And how about the Conservative Party?
1: The Conservative manifesto says that um, the Conservatives would pledge to reduce the disability employment gap and take steps to make the workplace better um, for people with disabilities.
0: Should we talk about um, the Gender Recognition Act? Because that's a that is an issue where different parties are saying slightly different things or quite significantly different things Um, and obviously it's, it's there was a con- there was a consultation on the Gender Recognition Act under uh, Theresa May, but the it seems like that's been mothballed for now. Or any changes to the Gender Recognition Act, and um, probably because it was seen as too controversial an issue going into an election. Um, so, th- we, if we should we start with um, Plaid Camry? They say what do they say about the Gen- Gender Recognition Act and what they do with it?
1: So they are proposing to demedicalize and reform the Gender Recognition Act.
0: So, so currently you have to go through a medicalized process where doctor has to give you a certificate to get a gender recognition certificate. But um, a number of parties are saying they're going to change that.
1: Yes, and I think that's in response to um, campaigners saying that this process has been long and drawn out and it's a very personal issue for the people who are going through that process um so the parties are directing their intentions to try and make that process better and update it I mean it's it's been years since the gender recognition act um was brought in following a case called uh, Christine Goodwin in the UK in the in the European Court of Human Rights um so it's the act although it was um a step forward in its time is now 15 years old and um it seems that there have been many calls to update it and it seems that parties are responding to those calls.
0: And the Liberal Democrats are going in a similar direction on that?
1: Yes, similarly, the the Liberal Democrats are proposing an overhaul of the Gender Recognition Act as well and removing the requirement for uh, medical reports.
0: And and they're going to also get rid of what's called the spousal veto. Um, So under current laws... A couple can't change their status from same sex to opposite sex, sorry, or from opposite sex to same sex, without the consent of the spouse. So, if you, if the, if one partner goes th- through a sex change, they will the other. But to carry on in the marriage, the other party has to consent. But that would be taken away um, under the Liberal Democrats' plans. Um, what do Labour? say about the Gender Recognition Act?
1: So Labour have also committed to reforming the Gender Recognition Act um, and they want to introduce a self-declaration for transgender people um, to address this uh, medicalised process that we've been talking about. And they've
0: had a bit of mixed messages over same-sex same-sex spaces and, and just looking at the rights info um, uh, infographic on this. Um, they're, 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 a Labour spokesman qualified Clarified that the Equality Act will continue to allow for separate and single-sex services, providing that such treatment by a provider is justified. But no spaces will be permitted to discriminate against trans people, which is pretty much where we are at the moment. Yeah. So, so I think the the Conservative Party say nothing. Maybe didn't want to ignite a controversy, and this this their manifesto is very much a kind of controversy. Avoiding or an attempt to avoid controversies and avoid the sort of Theresa May trap. So seems like that's something which has just been left out completely. What that means they'll actually do when they have to look back at the gender recognition act, because, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of public pressure to reform it. I think not just from campaigners, but from people who, the, the people on the street who, the trans people who are using the act have given very significant voice to the opinion that it's too unwieldy that it takes too long that it's too inv- it's too invasive but the conservative party um say nothing about that so um let's move on to the legal system um so the the courts legal aid access the justice how does this impact on human rights
1: so um, you need—I mean, there is a human right uh, to access the courts in the Euro- European Convention on Human Rights, as Article Six. Um, and so, part of your uh, part of it is just a practical being able to go to court if you have a legal issue that needs resolving. Um, but of course, there are other there are numerous elements to that, including the ability to pay to go to court, um, and that's where legal aid comes in. For example, there's also the the angle of. Um, court closing so the physical access is is not possible um, and so various parties have uh, looked into commitments to m- increase access to the justice system for example in Labour's manifesto they are planning to restore early access legal aid advice uh, for housing social security family and immigration issues uh, and they say that's to help people enforce their rights
0: and, and that let's just set the scene with legal aid that there's been a very significant cut to legal aid is is the money that is provided to help people who can't afford legal representation to be able to pay for it and in 2010 with the introduction of austerity there were huge cuts made to the ministry of justice budget and the ministry of justice administers legal aid and there was and I think the budgets in real terms have gone down at least 40% um, from, about, you know, from a starting point of about $9 billion. It's, it's a really significant cut. And they've taken away legal aid from a variety of areas. Now, early legal aid advice means before there's a claim happening, you can get some sort of investigation. Uh, uh, you can get funding to investigate the claim. And the argument which is a good argument, is that it, if you get that early funding, then you can avoid going to all the huge expense and stress of bringing a claim or having a claim brought against you. And so Labour are saying they'll restore early legal aid advice for various areas where, which also engage human rights. So housing, Social Security, family and immigration issues. What else will Labour do? They say they're going to do for legal aid.
1: They also say that they're going to ensure legal aid is available for inquests into deaths that occur in in state custody. Instances where people's loved ones have been in the custody of the state and tragically they've lost their lives. And then you have a grieving family who is coming up against an inquest system which is novel and and complicated to them. And I think the hope, it, it seems that the hope there might be to better able better equip people to access justice and access the legal system in, in those kind of cases.
0: Yeah, and, and, and from someone who practices an inquest um, relatively often, the difference between having lawyers in a an inquest as a court and you have cross-examination of witnesses, you have legal issues ar- arising all the time that can be quite complex legal issues. The difference between having legal representation and not is is a whole world of difference. And it's really helpful and useful to have legal aid. And, and I think that's a decent idea. Um, what does the Conservative Party Manifesto say about legal aid?
1: The Conservative Party Manifesto doesn't actually mention legal aid uh, specifically.
0: Although they do say we stand for democracy and the rule of law, our independent courts and legal system are respected throughout throughout the world. Um, But we're not going to fund people who can't afford um, to pay for that legal system or pay for a a, a part, play a part in that legal system. Um, Liberal Democrats.
1: So the Liberal Democrats have pledged to establish a new right to affordable, reasonable legal assistance. And they've promised to invest £500 million pounds into restoring legal aid. Okay,
0: so do we have any more information about how they will establish a new right to affordable, reasonable legal assistance?
1: It doesn't look like there's much further information about it in the manifesto. We just have the the proposal.
0: And do we We don't know when that £500 million will be invested. Will it be over the term of the parliament? Will it be all at once? Doesn't say. So do the SNP say anything about legal aid?
1: No, there's nothing about legal aid specifically in the SNP manifesto.
0: So the environment, climate change in the environment gives rise to a number of different human rights issues. Can you just give us a sort of snapshot of that?
1: Sure. So for example, one big issue relating to the environment is is our the impact that it has on our health and our ability to live healthy lives. It also results in more climate catastrophes and climate disasters around the world, which creates migration issues um, and puts people outside of their home. So it affects their right to stay, stay in their home. Um, and that migration and and um, the, the movement, the displacement of people, that can create conflicts that arise uh, in, in the areas to which these people move. And that their level of unrest puts people's personal security and and liberty in jeopardy as well and um, so it's really a range of human rights issues that arise from problems relating to the environment
0: so what have we got in terms of policies
1: so the green party un- understandably <laughs> have um a lot of focus in their manifesto on policies to do with the environment they're proposing a green new deal um
0: and this is a that's an american import from the um from the left of the, of the democratic party this idea of a green new deal what does it mean?
1: So for the Green Party, they're proposing 100 billion pounds a year to tackle climate change and reduce climate emissions to net zero by 2030. Um, also, Labour is proposing to um, take steps to pro- to reduce, the, to have achieved the majority of the reduction uh, to going towards net zero also by 2030.
0: Although that became a bit of a kind of a flexi-pledge. <laughs> From the from the part from the party conference until now, I, th- I think they're probably they're somewhere between twenty thirty and twenty fifty.
1: Mm. And the Conservatives are sticking with twenty fifty as their goal for reducing emissions to a net zero carbon emissions target.
0: W- while we're on the environment, let's talk about the hostile environment. <laughs> so, see what I did there. <laughs> um, so, so the hostile environment was a. It's a policy which has been in place for a number of years. Um, It's it's difficult to say exactly when it started, potentially at the tail end of the the new Labour government, but certainly was exacerbated and um, expanded by Theresa May when she was Home Secretary. And and the idea of the hostile environment was to make the UK a hostile environment for illegal immigrants. Um, But as we know from the Windrush scandal, it ended up making the UK a hostile environment for a number of legal immigrants as well. And what are the different parties going to do about the hostile environment?
1: Um, The Green Party have pledged to end the hostile environment and Labour have promised to establish a humane immigration system um, and the ending of the hostile environment that caused the Windrush scandal. They're proposing a system of immigration built on human rights, which aims to meet labour shortages and skills shortages the conservative manifesto also proposes an overhaul of the current immigration system to make it more fair and compassionate and they recognize uh, that what happened to the the windrush generation um needs to never happen again
0: and it's, it's interesting that they that they have felt the need to address that um because governments don't always accept as particularly in manifestos things that they've done wrong but they do say um, what happened to the wind rush generation was horrific and we will ensure it never happens again we're committed to the wind compensation scheme but i suppose that the, the proof will be the proof of the pudding will be in the eating because the question is knowing that what a disaster the, the the way in which migrants generally and even people who aren't migrants but might be for racist reasons, um, treated as if they're migrants. How they're how they're treated will depend on how they're on a kind of cultural change at the Home Office. I think it's probably fair to say.
1: The Conservative Party are proposing an Australian-style points-based system of immigration with an NHS visa to help people who are coming into this country to work for the NHS.
0: But obviously, all of this is contingent on what happens with Brexit, and and it's you know it, it's all very well saying we're going to do this immigration system or that immigration system, but this will all be. Potentially part of an EU negotiation, um, which will come. You know, if, if it's if the Conservatives get in, then it will come during next year. If Labour gets in, or some sort of more left coalition, then it will be. Well, it's all everything to play for because there could be a second referendum. So, but we could still be negotiating with the EU. If people vote to leave, probably the following year, so an, an immigration will will form a big part of that. Let's return to workers' rights. We've spoken about it in the context of Brexit, but the Labour Party are making a, make a big promise. They're, they're promising the biggest expansion of workers' rights in history. Um, what does that mean?
1: So one of the commitments that Labour are proposing is the establishment of a ministry for employment rights um, to give working people a voice in discussions about their rights. Um, And they are also proposing to improve sectoral collective bargaining um, and to have minimum standards on a range of issues like pay and working hours.
0: Yeah, and 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 so when they talk about workers' rights, the expansion of workers' rights, they're really talking about collective bargaining and the you know that there were there's been a number they're going to roll back a number of laws which have restricted the activities of unions over the past couple of decades longer than that um, which will be a big change um, in terms of the way that the the economy works and also potentially the the collective bargaining power of of workers
1: they're also proposing um, some real terms economic uh, measures for example bringing in a a what they call a real living wage which is 10 pounds per hour for all workers age 16 plus and Um, extending paid maternity leave making paternity leave uh, easier to take um, banning zero hour contracts these kinds of things a few measures that would help workers who are in more precarious positions
0: And, and the lib dems have also said something about zero hours contracts but i don't think it's a ban it's more of a reform the greens say they're going to have a living wage of 12 pounds on the living wage the conservatives have said they will increase it to two-thirds of average earnings currently forecast at £10.50 an hour and widen its reach to everyone over 21. And that means, they say, that means an average pay rise of £4,000 per year to 4 million people by 2024. Let's finish off by talking about this pledge by the Conservative Party to introduce a new new legislation to tackle the vexatious legal claims that undermine our armed forces and further incorporate armed forces covenants into law do we know what what that means
1: it's not really clear what exactly is being proposed by new legislation to tackle vexatious legal claims that undermine the armed forces and so one proposal has been um that we that the state should derogate from the european convention on human rights when it acts during an armed conflict um so that means
0: disapplying which is it's It's potentially legal under the convention. The convention does allow for that, but it's got to be under certain. There's got to be certain requirements that are met.
1: Yes, there are. There are limited requirements. There has to be. It has to be a public emergency threatening the life of the nation or or a war. This is in Article 15 of the European Human Rights Convention. Um, And states can also only take measures derogating from their convention obligations to the extent strictly required by the exigencies of the situation and also certain. Uh, duties under the, under the convention, for example, the duty not to torture or or um, treat people inhumane inhumanely. Um, those are non-derogable, so the state cannot in any circumstance uh, derogate from those duties. The duty not to torture, for example, and so it's and some of the claims that arise in relation to the actions of the armed forces relate to. Mistreatment and that sort of thing, claims from which no derogation is is permissible, anyway. Matters from which no derogation is permissible, uh, and so it's really not very clear what the proposal is um, to legislate. Um, if it's proposing legislation for derogation, then it's not clear at all that those sorts of claims would be affected.
0: Yeah, and there was talk also of, of a statute of limitations on. Well, we already have a statute of limitations, but preventing soldiers being prosecuted um, for um, events that happened, say, 30 years ago. And, and really, but, but I think the, the sites are on the Bloody Sunday um, inquiry findings and the troubles generally. But it's difficult to see that being made a reality. I think where this, where we can leave this issue is that the Conservatives have long said they will do something about historic prosecutions or about vexatious litigants, but they have never, to my mind, put together a, a particularly coherent proposal. And it's difficult to see what coherently is going to come out of this manifesto commitment, which is pretty vague. Thank you very much, Tash, for coming the podcast and um it's been very interesting and not that easy looking into all the different manifestos from a human rights perspective but obviously if people have comments please leave them um, on twitter at be human podcast or you can email me adam at better human podcast.com And the Better Human podcast is kindly supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering new LLB Law and undergraduate course taught in London. Applications are now open to learn more. Please visit gold.ac.uk forward slash law. And if you want more of the podcast, if you want to support it and help make sure that we carry on going, then you can contribute a couple of pounds a month, which would be extremely uh, well received at patreon.com forward slash better human. Thank you very much to Tash, thank you very much to um, Samantha Bruff, our editor, and see you next time.